Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of 1 Peter 5. Your tax-deductible contributions enable us to continue our work to restore Catholic culture and rebuild Catholic tradition. Make a real difference in the church. Go to 1peter5.com forward slash donate today. You're listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. It is a real joy for us to welcome you all here. Rebuilding Catholic culture, restoring Catholic tradition. So I want to talk to you today about some things that have been on my mind. You see... I feel the frustration that many of you, maybe most of you, are feeling. I do. I share your frustration um, with what's happening in the church, in the world, in politics, in international relations and affairs. That feeling that I've been talking about for years, that something wicked this way comes, something bad is on the way. You know, my wife, Jamie, is, um, is an exceptional woman. She's exceptional in many ways, incredibly talented incredibly focused, driven, organized. If it weren't for her, our home would fall apart and we'd probably be out on the street right now. Um, Because I sit here and I dwell on, you know, these things that are going on in the world and and I try to shed light on them and I try to bring your attention to them. They're not helpful things. And she says to me on a on a fairly regular basis, Steve, stop focusing on all the negativity. You've got to stop. You mire yourself in the bad things that are going on. And it's not good for you. It's not good for me. And it's not good for you. It's not good for anybody. And yet... You know, what do you do when your basement floods with sewage? What do you do when it floods with sewage and you've got to try to find some way to clean it up? You wind up ankle deep in crap. That's what you do. You may not want to be mired in a cesspool, but necessity dictates that you have to do something. You can't just ignore the stink. It's not going to go away. It's a problem that doesn't solve itself. And maybe the analogy is not perfect, but our church right now, the Catholic faith, has been flooded with sewage. And unfortunately, the man with his hand on the valve that's just pouring 
sewage into the church like a fire hydrant that has been opened up is Pope Francis. You know, my goal, my goal when I started 1 Peter 5 was to focus on what was good and true and beautiful about what's going on in the church, about what used to go on in the church, maybe things that are lost, lost treasures, devotions, ideas, theology, returning to the things that made Catholicism great, made it the driving force of Western civilization. It was my goal to inoculate the faithful, as many of them as I could reach, by presenting to them these timeless truths because I knew what was coming. I felt it in my bones, in my soul. I knew it was going to get really bad. And we're not, I don't think, not yet, at bottom, at rock bottom. We're not there. The darkest hour is not upon us. But but I think we're approaching and we're moving at it at an astonishing rate of speed. Over the Thanksgiving break, um, not really a break, but I did, I took a few days off from doing much website stuff. I did, you know, some maintenance here and there, but mostly another thing that my lovely wife keeps telling me is that I need a life other than this because left to my own devices, I will work on these things virtually all the time because as much as it, you know, only takes you a little while to consume an article or two or a podcast or two, it takes a lot more time to prepare to make those things, um, to do the research necessary, to try to make sure that you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's. And there's a lot that goes into that. And, and of course, you know, the website, I'm always working on improving behind the scenes and looking for ways to raise capital because, you know, we're always underfunded. Um, so there's a lot that happens that is probably completely transparent to you that you don't see. Yesterday, I probably spent, I don't know, 15 hours at my desk. Um, I only produced one article yesterday, but there was a lot of other stuff that needed to get done. So why am I saying this? Well, so I took time over Thanksgiving and just spent it with my family and played Monopoly for five hours and, you know, watched a movie and, you know, did whatever, whatever it was that we did, you know, had dinner, just, just spent time together, reminded my children that I exist, which is probably a a good thing for me to do. But I also gave a good bit of thought to where we are as a publication. What are we doing? What are the next steps? How do we go forward from here? You see, when when the second half of the synod happened, from my perspective, we had crossed a Rubicon. That was the moment where I had to pull out the stops and we had to fight for the faith. We just, we had to fight like it was a war because it was a war. And the other side was making its moves in plain view 
and yet it found amongst the faithful many defenders who basically do the equivalent of when a child sticks their fingers in their ears and sings, na 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 na, I can't hear you. It's it's depressing. It's depressing to watch people bury their heads. To say that what is clearly happening is not happening. To call upon the idea of, of indefectibility or papal infallibility as though it's a magic talisman against bad clergy. Against bad popes. So... I felt that we really needed to fight, and and we did. We hammered and hammered and hammered at what was going on in Rome. We made sure to point out the fact that all of the worst actors in the Synod were put in place by Pope Francis, because they were, and the buck stops with him. I don't care who likes it and who doesn't. His agenda is being acted out through others. And maybe it's because his ability to do what he wants to do is constrained by the charism of his office. Maybe the Holy Spirit's really not letting him do what he wants to do, but he has surrogates, and they are doing it for him. So for weeks before the Synod, for the full month of October, and for at least the first two weeks of November, I feel that we were engaged in a form of trench warfare. So while at the same time, I, I can't help but feel as though we've strayed from our original mission and purpose and from, you know, the raison d'etre, the reason that this website exists was never supposed to be to have to confront error head on. It was to confront error simply by reiterating what the church has always taught because the teachings already exist. The the truth about every situation that we're facing right now already exists, and we just need to have recourse to it. We have 2,000 years of theological development. We have a 2,000-year-old deposit of faith. We have 265 popes before this one who have all made their various contributions, some good, some not so good, but all of them are are part of that tradition, that history, you know, as Chesterton called tradition, the democracy of the dead. This idea that that what came and who came before us all should weigh on our thinking now. We have all that stuff. But at the same time, I don't see how I can leave the, the sewage flood unaddressed. You see, there aren't many publications or websites positioned the way that we are. We are not, despite the way some would characterize us, we are not on the radical traditional fringe. Because traditionalism, honestly, should never be equated with radicalism. It's reactionary, not radical. Traditionalism is simply honoring what was always taught and believed and not being arrogant enough to think that we know better than how the fathers and doctors of the church worshipped and believed. We don't 
think that we have the ability to just say, hey, it's the 1960s, we can just remake this whole thing. Or it's 2015, we can just remake this whole thing. It's not radical, it's... Honestly, it's peaceful. If if I wasn't having to battle this stuff all the time, it is fantastic to be a traditional Catholic. To go to liturgies that are enriching and reverent and uplifting with beautiful music and and a sense that you're really worshiping God and those sacraments that you feel, you know, the exorcisms and baptism, feeling like I'm giving my children the best possible start in the life of grace, the moment that they enter into the world all the various devotions and the practices, these are things that, that provide a stability and peace of life. They are not, they are not the domain of, of radical malcontents. The reason that people in the traditional movement, I think, become radicalized is because they get so sick of seeing everything that they hold dear, that they know exists to help the salvation of souls, their own, their children, and everyone else, getting kicked and trampled upon, spat upon. Sacred things should be treated as sacred things. If someone treated my wife the way most bishops and priests treat the church, well, (laughs) it wouldn't go so well for them. Let's just put it that way. So, so I've found myself sort of between the rock and a hard place. Because what ends up happening is we get accused of being hypercritical. I had a donor unsubscribe the other day from... I, I sent out a thank you letter to donors on Thanksgiving and just reminded them of all we've accomplished in the past year and thanked them. Didn't ask for anything, just let them know that we really appreciate it and we couldn't be there without them. And one fellow responded and unsubscribed, and he said, you know, I appreciate your militant defense of our faith, but I worry that the hypercriticality that has crept in endangers charity. Now, I can understand his concern, and I obviously am I'm always worried about that, because that's never been what I want us to be. I, I don't want us to be the snarky, cool kids in the back of the room, you know, throwing things at people when they turn around to face the board, or making the teacher hate us, because every time she turns around, we're screwing around. That's not us. I'm not throwing jabs at people just because I want to be perceived in some way as superior. That's not our goal. Our criticisms are aimed at correcting, are aimed at furthering the truth. That's why they're there. But if hypercriticality is something that we can be accused of, then I want some acknowledgement of the hyperinfusion of error that is coming into the church because of this pope and his friends. Because I'm not being proactive in my approach to these topics. I'm being reactive. I'm not going out there and just looking for things that I think they're going to do and and writing diatribes. 
I'm taking a portion, a fraction of the things that they are doing and responding to it and saying, this is wrong and here's why. So if I'm hypercritical, it's because I have a hyperabundance of material to be critical of. And we, I, as the editor of this publication, and we, as in many of the writers, I work very hard to ensure that our content is balanced, that our criticisms are made with charity. And yes, some of our writers are more caustic than others, but on the whole, I think we strike a pretty decent tone. But I'm frustrated because I want to get back to what we're about. I want to get back to the true, the good, and the beautiful. I want to focus more on things that make us feel good. I had someone on Facebook the other day comment on one of our articles and said, hey, for a change, there's an article from 1P5 that doesn't make me feel depressed. He reads it. He just doesn't like how it makes him feel. Well, I don't like how it feels. Reading this stuff day in and day out and having no reprieve is exhausting. So this little break I took over Thanksgiving was really something special. I still have not read anything that Pope Francis has said since he's been in Africa. And yes, I've seen excerpts because I spend time online and on social media and people are are quoting it. And now I'm getting emails and instant messages and requests for comment on, did the Pope really say this? Did he really say this? Did, did he mean this? Because this time, of course, he's once again abusing the faithful, abusing anyone who actually believes in the doctrines of the church as being fundamentalist. And I don't even know, like I said, I haven't read it closely enough to have committed it to memory, but he's being an abusive father. He's an abusive father. He's, he's a jerk and I'm tired of it. And I'm tired of constantly, you know, telling my siblings, you don't have to accept this. This is not normal behavior from a father. No, it's not okay that he beats you. No, it's not okay that he berates you and makes you feel like crap. Yes, I know he's your dad. Yes, I know the fourth commandment exists, but that doesn't mean you have to just wallow in abuse. Get rid of the Stockholm Syndrome. Everybody in abusive relationships acts this way. Oh, well, he didn't mean it. Yes, he did. Somehow we have managed to get a Pope who hates Catholicism as it has always been practiced. He hates it. That is a really, really weird place to be. That takes the mystery of iniquity and elevates it to the level of total paradox. I don't know what to do with it. And I don't want to talk about it all the time. Frankly, I have really enjoyed not having to. And yet, my basement is full of sewage. And it stinks. So, what are we going to do? Well, going forward... I do want to make a conscious effort for 1 Peter 5 to focus again as much as possible, steer this ship of a publication into the waters of of clarity, of goodness, of truth, of beauty. I still want to talk about the things that made Catholicism great. But this inoculation that I attempted 
the pandemic is here. And, and I, I have to say, if I'm evaluating us on our medical effectiveness, I can't say I can give us a really great grade. We have more readers than we ever have. The numbers keep going up every month. But I don't know. We also have more detractors. We also have more people. I see it on Facebook. You know, the, somebody shares one of our articles. Somebody else says, oh, I never read that website. They're, they're horrible. They hate the Pope. I hate what he does. I love the papacy. The man who happens to be occupying the papal office is a is a man who needs to be put in his place and it's not really our job to do that it's God's but we need to at least be able to point out that what he's doing isn't right and it's not guys it's not malice it's not I don't even know how to explain it I've never been so mentally emotionally and spiritually tired in my life because every day is a battle. So how do we make it not a battle? So going forward, the one thing I can't do is commit to you that we're not going to continue our critical analysis of events. We have to. We don't have any choice. Nobody else is doing it the way we're doing it. The Catholic mainstream media is almost completely ignoring what's going on. The traditionalist media in general is predictably polemical. And I, I can't say that I blame them, but I don't think it helps the people who are just waking up to this crisis right now, who have never really been willing to acknowledge that these things are going on. And suddenly they have a Pope who's just beating them over the head with the reality that the post conciliar church is a disaster. It's a mess and it needs to be sorted out. And there's going to be a lot of people who are needing to reevaluate a lot of things. So we're going to continue to focus on giving them the lifelines, giving them the support that they need, helping them to discover what is beautiful about the, the church as it has always been. The things that drew many of us, away from the post-conciliar church that we grew up with and toward the more ancient liturgy and ecclesiology and theology. So I commit to you that we'll, we'll make an effort to focus more on that, but we will continue measured and careful criticism where we see error spreading, where we see a fire getting out of control and it needs to get stamped out. I know for a fact I'm going to have to go read the stuff he's been saying in Africa. I'm going to have to read the transcript from the plane. I don't know what happens when he gets into a pressurized cabin at 30,000 feet, but squeezes all kinds of things out that I people just don't know how to deal with. So I'm going to have to look at that and decide whether and what should be said. But at the same time, I really don't want to let Pope Francis or the people that he has surrounded himself with live in my head rent-free anymore. I kind of want him to get a job and move out. 
we'll deal with them as we need to, but we need to move forward because Catholicism doesn't begin and end with this papacy, no matter what the people currently in Rome act like. It just doesn't. It's been around. It'll be around. And I want to continue to be a positive resource, a force for good. I want to use my superpowers for good. That's what I would like to do. So going forward, I think I'm going to focus more on building up the church rather than just paying attention to those who are spending all of their efforts trying to tear it down. I'd like to create an opportunity for our audience to build community. I want to provide more podcasts because every time I ask, this is one of the things that people say they want. And I'm evaluating additional opportunities that have come up. Um, There's been some discussions about potentially even moving into radio. We'll see what happens and how that goes. But I want to find new ways of of doing things, new ways of, of approaching our content, new ways of delivering our content. I want to give you what you need. I want to be the resource that you need us to be. So 2016 presents, I think, some exciting opportunities. And to the extent that we can move away from an excessive concern with the negativity, I mean, we can't avoid it altogether. I think we'll all be a lot happier. I have to tell you, this last six days, I think it's been about six days that I've just ignored what's coming from Pope Francis, and it's been fantastic. It has been fantastic. I have been at peace. I have been much more calm. And he's not going to be around forever, and his legacy won't either. There's a future ahead of us. And whatever God has in store for the church, we can trust that it will be better than we can imagine, despite what difficulties may come in the interim. So onward and upward, on to bigger and better things. Keep an eye out for some exciting new changes coming into 2016. We plan to be around for the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. I know we're coming into Christmas season, but please, if you have the ability, this is the tightest time of year. So please go to onepeter5.com forward slash donate and make a contribution. If you can, we could really use it as we build out our offerings for the coming year. I'm not saying this is going to be the last podcast of 2015, but we're at a we're at a fork in the road. And I want to take I want to take a a path less traveled to borrow from Robert Frost. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the 1 Peter 5 podcast. This has been a production of 1 Peter 5 Incorporated. Copyright 2015. All rights reserved. 
please remember to visit us online at www.1peter5.com. That's www.1peter5, all spelled out, all one word, dot com. You can join our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash 1peter5. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash 1peter5. If you feel we've provided you with something of value, please hit our donate page and make a contribution. It not only helps pay for web hosting and the fine content we provide, but keeps food on our tables, coffee in our cups, and the lights on, which really helps us see what we're doing. Until next time, I'm Steve Skojak. Thanks for listening.